Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a cars and transport program where you don't have to be a rev head to enjoy it. I'm David Brown and Brian Smith and Errol Smith join me for the program. And in this program we take a look at the latest news stories with David Campbell, including Uber blocked from operating in London and self-driving technology stall under the US President. We discuss the type of cars that might be made by a new manufacturer on the block, the Dyson Company. We road test the Toyota 86, and in our panel discussion, we take a bubbly look at some quirky news stories, including a trolley circle discovered in Armadale Central. Is there a wheeled equivalent of crop circles? Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. Uber has been blocked from operating in London after the company was deemed not fit and proper to hold a taxi license. Transport for London refused to renew Uber's license to operate in the British capital, arguing that it demonstrates a lack of corporate responsibility with implications in public safety and security. Uber has vowed to challenge the decision, which affects more than 40,000 drivers in a huge blow to the ride-sharing app. The final day of Uber's license will be on September the 30th. Uber has the right to appeal the decision within 21 days. The UK decision could have implications here in Australia. The company is currently being investigated by the Fair Work Ombudsman, which is looking into whether or not driver contracts breach Australian law. Immediately after the ban, Australia's own Transport Workers Union came out in support of the UK decision. Donald Trump has refused to mandate the installation of vehicle-to-vehicle technology in new vehicles. The technology isn't effective unless most cars have it. Vehicle-to-vehicle communication systems, known as V2V, are regarded as essential for fully automated travel, which could dramatically reduce traffic fatalities. The technology enables cars to send signals back and forth to one another, improving their ability to foresee potential collisions and avert them. A push by regulators during the Obama administration to speed V2V to market has stalled under the Donald Trump administration. Officials from the Transportation Department declined to discuss the status of V2V regulations at a recent event where updated autonomous testing guidelines were released. The US Transportation Secretary suggested that state and local governments bear more responsibility for developing communication infrastructure that would support V2V technology. Recently, Overdrive reported on a rumour that Chinese carmaker Great Wall was looking at making a bid for Fiat Chrysler. Now another rumour has surfaced that Hyundai might be interested in throwing their hat into the ring. If such a merger were to occur, it would make Hyundai Fiat Chrysler the largest automaker in the world, surpassing the two companies currently battling for that honour, namely Toyota and Volkswagen. Fiat Chrysler has long been on the search for a partner for the future. Developing the next generation of vehicle technology, specifically electric cars and autonomy, is far from cheap. And in order to prevent costs from spiralling out of control, Fiat Chrysler hopes to merge and split costs with someone else. Whatever happens, it appears that there are changes afoot at some stage in the near future. 
Forget the idea of a traditional car leasing plan, at least as far as Volvo is concerned, with the Swedish company launching a clever new 24-month subscription service called Care by Volvo. If you order a new XC40 online in Europe, you'll be able to own the vehicle for a set monthly price, devoid of any extra fees like tax or insurance. Volvo Australia has said that they will look at the concept, but it remains to be seen whether we will see this plan take off in this part of the world, given the implications of compulsory third-party insurance and other costs beyond simply registering a car in Australia. The rotary engine could be making a comeback. A new Mazda concept car featuring a rotary engine is destined for the 2017 Tokyo Motor Show, which starts in October. At the recent Frankfurt Motor Show, Mazda's head of research and development in Europe said that the new design concept is an evolution of the RX Vision. Ever since the RX Vision concept was unveiled at the 2015 Tokyo Motor Show, there have been conflicting reports about whether or not it will go into production. Mazda is the only major automobile company actively pursuing rotary engine technology. However, the company has struggled with both technical issues and making a production model's economic case stack up. Although Mazda pulled the plug on its last rotary-powered production car, the RX-8, in 2012, research and development of the rotary is said to have continued unabated. And that has been the news. Well, welcome to the program. They say at the Australian Institute of Traffic Planning and Management, a recent forum, that one of the surprising things is that developments in transport are coming from companies that are non-traditional in the area. Tesla making cars, Google, for example. Now we have the story that Dyson, the person and uh, behind the company that makes hand dryers and vacuum cleaners, is thinking of making a, quote, radical, unquote, electric car. Brian Smith and Errol Smith join me to discuss this particular issue. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. No worries, David. David. Brian, you're not a great fan of Dyson, are you? No, look, I think Dyson takes like a practical working product and then just basically adds dollar signs to it. The idea of a fan without fan blades visible and which has no turbulence. For mine, it's the turbulence that helps cool you down. So they're just sort of overpriced. I I suspect with his electric cars, um, we would see the same thing. It's a brand. It's it's a luxury sort of uh, aspirational brand now and very, very expensive. Mm. Mm. You don't have a Dyson vacuum cleaner or hand dryer or things, Errol? No, no. Oh, Brian? (laughs) No, I I don't think I can afford one. Brian, you're you're not being vacuous, are you? <laughs> oh, sorry, a misuse of the word. Sorry, Errol, you were going to say? The thing that concerns me is that cars are very image-based. So ah. the appearance of your car is very important. And Dyson's items tend not to even look like what they are. I mean, their, their vacuum cleaners kind of look like a plastic jet engine with half its bits exposed. Hmm. Their fans look like a robot from a sci-fi film. <laughs> And um, so I'm, I'm concerned about what their cars are going to, to look like and whether they'll be, whether they'll take off. Well, maybe, maybe Dyson will, will shake up the design aspect there, Errol. So one of the things that's annoyed me about, um, you know, the latest uh, electric car revolution or evolution is, is they're not taking the opportunity to change the way the vehicle looks. I mean, Tesla 
the only thing they've done is, is take away the grill in a sense. I, I was mm. really wa- wanting them to sort of revision and reimagine the car. Maybe Dyson can do that. You know, it may yeah. end up looking more like a vacuum cleaner, but, but yeah, well, you, uh, you, I, I you're no that. longer need you're no longer need a a bonnet with an engine in it. Exactly. Because the engine yeah. the engine is essentially replaces the differential in in most electric vehicles. Doesn't need a, a protrusion at the front or a rear or the uh, you know a mid or rear engined layout like a conventional internal combustion engine. Conventional car has the two box design, two or three box boot bonnet seating capacity in the middle. So bonnet, yeah. yes, we, we possibly could make all the difference. Do you think that they might be able to combine the? factors i for one would uh, be keen to buy a car where the air conditioning on full bore wasn't so noisy is that dyson's forte or less i'm not sure <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if they use any of their own sort of fan technology in the in the ac unit won't it because that'll just add another two grand to the price if you get into the car and you're a bit hot and sweaty wet will you get dried like a hand dryer with <laughs> Air conditioning blasting through. You, 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 just, you just you just slide your hands in and out of the the, the steering wheel. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and uh, it'll dry it off for you. Well, why not have a steering wheel that lets air circulate around your hands? Look at it. there's so many things that many things that ways in which the car could change for the better. Uh, maybe Dice is the right person to shake it up. I mean, I you know how I feel about him, David, but um, I guess he has. He has innovated in certain ways. We were using the neighbour's um, vacuum cleaner the other day, and it's a Dyson, and and we noted that the you know the head swivelled from side to side as well as kind of up and down, and, and you immediately think, why don't all vacuum cleaners do that? And it's such a simple thing. So here I am, sort of singing his praises. So maybe uh, maybe there is hope for me, mm. and I'm not sure I'll ever have a Dyson car because uh, that brand thing then for mine sort of speaks of uh, too much money. Well, of course, they do have one of those vacuum cleaners that wanders around, and, and Dyson is now talking about an autonomous car, but I don't want it to be the one that only turns around when it hits something, you know, that it bumps <laughs> into something, and so then it moves. I think you've got to take autonomy a bit further than that. Maybe it'll clean the road as it goes. Well, I thought the first one should be a, a street sweeper. Wouldn't have you thought their first vehicle? <laughs> autonomous street sweeper that bumps its way through curb and gutters all the way up the road that's fantastic all right gentlemen uh lovely to talk to you that let's uh, pause for a moment and then we'll have a road test you're listening to overdrive okay gentlemen uh, i must admit that i have not been a great fan of the looks of the subaru brz which is also of course sold as a toyota 86 they tend to particularly around the rear to my mind has this almost goggle-eyed sort of lights at the back which is quite typical of toyota although the car is of course built as a subaru in a subaru factory with a boxster engine however error when we picked up the toyota 86 the base model base model's called a GT, the bigger one, well, not bigger, but the better one's called the GTS, it was in plain white, and my mind immediately went back to the time when I was much younger, and there were much more small British sports cars around, like the Austin Healey Sprite, and all of them were in relatively plain colours, often white. And mm. I just thought this car looked better for that. Errol, how did you respond? Yeah, I have to agree. I think it really looks great in white, and the, the darker colours don't actually 
work as well. You can get them all you know, very deep colours, can't you? And bright oranges and colours like that. Although, interestingly, the white is actually a, a metallic paint and it's $465 extra. <laughs> it's if, you extra get a, for white. if you get red, that's not metallic and it's cheaper. Uh-huh. Maybe they're pandering to my memories. You see... When I look back at that, you know, I said it had goggle-eyed rear taillights because you go back, they were out before I was dri- at driving age, but I still look back with a fondness, the bug-eyed Sprite. Oh, lovely car. And so you may point a finger at me and say, well, you know, yet there is light sticking out like a frog's eyes. But you see, the thing about it is, you know, you can't judge me now. With We all have more mature and experience. Perhaps we understand elegance and style a bit more. But back then... I was looking at things in a different way. When I saw a young lady in a miniskirt, I wasn't thinking about fashion. (laughs) (laughs) If you understand what I mean. Yes. Uh, Errol, when we got in it, not a high waistline, but you still tended to sit and feel very low. Yeah. Well, you, 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 um, you know, you can put your fingers out and touch the ground easily. And there's, you know, there's only sort of a hand's width of height from the ground to the to the underneath of the car. You, it's, it's, it's very low, but uh, that's that's what you expect in, in this kind of car. And, of course, that gives a good, good good handling too. You took some ladies for a drive. I think one of them noticed that they were rather low to the ground. They felt that. My mother was concerned that, uh, that you know, she might be scraping her bum on the, on the bitumen. But uh, it's <laughs> she did have a little bit of trouble getting in and out. You do have to uh, stoop down fairly low to get in and out of it. I like this kind of car, David. It reminds me of the, uh, the Mazda MX-5 in that it's very simple in terms of its appointments and controls and things it's not trying to tick every box in the feature department it's it's very basic there is in fact there, there is no controls at all on the steering wheel oh wow in the base model there it also had a very small screen it had the electronics of stability control and such but none of these select your mode like economy comfort or sport uh, mm. nice to drive a manual though it's been a while it's got a, a very short throw gearbox and um short throw clutch too which is great for quick changes it's not so much fun crawling through peak hour traffic but, um, <laughs> brian how long has it been since you drove a manual quite a while actually david I, and, and i'm at an age now where i have no desperate urge to drive a manual car or, or even a sports car but but uh, I, I do like that toyota made it quite accessible price wise mm. and uh, mm. I, I didn't know that um that the Subaru was the same. And it's only about 150 kilowatts of power, depending on the which, yeah. the which model you get. There's only a few kilowatts difference. And, in fact, they have resisted. In fact, uh, Subaru has emphatically said that they're not going to put a WRX turbocharged engine in it, despite the cries from many people. <laughs> well, they've got to keep that aftermarket hot up industry going, <laughs> don't they? I think it's actually a good thing, David, in, in their choice. It's a naturally aspirated two-litre engine. And it, it means that it's not, you know, unlike something like the F-Type or something that we've driven, which just has a rocket in it, this you actually have to drive. If mm. you want to, you know, if you want to drive it at pace, you have to work that gearbox and you need to have a bit of a bit of skill to, to get the most out of the car. And I think that makes it a, a more pleasurable car to drive. Was it fun, Errol? Was it, was it fun? Yes. It, it's, got, it's got kind of two modes. Below about 3,000 RPM, it's fairly sedate and quiet, and above about 4K, it gets a very sort of, you know, growly and 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 happy. Below 3,000 revs was when I was driving it. Above it was when Errol was driving it. <laughs> <laughs> I found that the car, it handled very well. It wasn't that 
absolute razor sharp sense that you get in some hot hatches like the Ford Focus ST, which when you just turn the wheel a bit, it seems like it's almost bitten into the sand and going to whoosh around. It flows through corners, but does it very well. bit heavy, 12,058 kilograms. It's 225 kilograms heavier than an MX-5. Mm, but the the MX-5 doesn't have two pretend back seats. <laughs> we put the kid in the back seat. And he had to fold his legs because there was no room for his legs. <laughs> uh, we do have a video on that, and we have it on our website. Gentlemen, after this, maybe we might talk a little bit about uh, some unusual news stories. This is Overdrive across Australia. And so we get to the end of the program. Time for some quirky news. Still on the line is Errol Smith and Brian Smith. Now, gentlemen, we all know crop circles and uh, the way that has shaken up the scientific community. Is there really something out there that we might believe in more than just these boring scientists? Now someone's doing the same with shopping trolleys and they're putting them in circles. Errol, is this a significant mystic experience or is there something in science that you might get out of it well david i think these these trolley circles this of course proves that the earth is flat (laughs) it it, it must be true i read it on the internet well that they don't roll away i was disappointed actually when i looked at this this is that they're they're regular trolleys without that annoying little thing that you have to put a coin in to uh, release i wanted it to be those because if you linked all of those in a circle it'd be impossible to get them apart it's also an indication of your sincerity if you're prepared to put all the $2 in those in order to make the circle. Ah, uh, yes. You know, you're not just some fly-by-night person. The thing about it, though, is, of course, they've done it in a shopping centre car park, which has got a roof over it. So you can't get the aerial shots and see the elegance of any design they might make. There's mm, a, couple of, yeah. um, a couple of trolleys in the middle. So, mm. so it's a circle, but it's kind of got a couple in the middle, Stonehenge style. It's, it's fascinating. I, I wondered whether there was a connection between the recent announcement that Australia may have a space agency and this, that um, perhaps this has been enough to sort of trigger the need to understand what is going on out there. And it could well just be, what if it's a naturally occurring thing, that if you leave shopping trolleys, say, with one wobbly wheel you know, in a car park that eventually they they sort of just wobble together and, and form these kind of dynamic shapes. I was, I was looking at a story um, the other day about mould being used to uh, test transport networks, you know, so that if you, uh, if you sort of have a, a, a sort of urban form represented by the kind of food that the, the mould might eat in a Petri dish and you can say, well, here's, here's my kind of cities – the mould will naturally create a sort of connections between them that you can use to design a rail network. Maybe the same thing here, David, that this mm. is a natural sort of, uh, you know, the circle is a very uh, efficient shape. It may well just be that left to their own devices, all the trolleys would eventually form circles like this. And, of course, mm. uh, I'm not sure whether that, that means they're defending from Native Americans or not. <laughs> Uh, Brian, you talked about one with the wobbly wheels. I think you've clearly hit on the point. There's some in the middle there. I think they've got wobbly wheels, and all the other ones have circled them to protect them. <laughs> so they're wounded or something. And perhaps the, this is the defence against the sort of the, the rampaging tractor 
that's that's in, attempting to collect them. So it might, yeah, there might be some sort of beautiful circle of life kind of Lion King thing going on there. Errol, you said it might prove that the world's flat, which I love as the comment. You know, rapper Bob, B, full stop, little o, full stop, B. I thought I'd express that so there's no confusion. He believes the world <laughs> is flat, and he now has a quest to raise money so he can send his own satellite up into the space and prove it. I well, like what that he's the, what, making a real what, effort. What would the satellite orbit once he put it up? <laughs> <laughs> A satellite doesn't stay, and no one's told him that a satellite doesn't stay up there unless it is that classic example of firing a cannonball high enough that it falls forever. It just keeps falling like a moon around the sun. I I sometimes think, and I could be totally wrong here, that people make outrageous statements purely to get publicity. Uh. Anyone who calls themselves B, full stop O, full stop B, is uh, possibly in that category, David. He just he didn't want to be confused with, you know, rapper Robert. Back to the trolleys. I just can't wait for them to get more elegant designs, but please be on the top floor so we can take an aerial photograph of it. Brian, you have a story. Certainly, David. We've probably all heard of uh, a, a day of mourning when something terrible goes wrong. Well, in the north of England, people were encouraged to, to undertake a day of moaning when uh, the uh, ministers for transport there decided to uh, change his mind on funding uh, improvements and electrification for northern rail lines in, uh, in England and instead uh, switched to supporting Crossrail too, which is a train line across London. So people who lived in the north were encouraged by a think tank called IPPR North to undertake this day of moaning, that on this day in August, people would be encouraged to write to their MPs and to flood radio and television phone-ins to express their frustration with the poor transport provision in their area. I think it's a fantastic idea, you know, that they got things done by whinging. It's a very English thing to do, isn't it? Well, I wonder whether you really think that they do it just on one day. We've always had walk-to-work <laughs> day, and I've always said, well, no, you, you don't do it just as one day. It's got to be a whole-of-the-year time. But perhaps, really, the UK people already have done that with their moaning, as you suggest, Brian. I think they've got reason to moan. Because um, if you look at some of the the pricing, during peak time, a Manchester to London ticket is £338. Is that right? Yes. That's a large amount of money. That's like $1,000 almost. Yeah, with that, I mean, that's that's a sort of, you know, peak hour demand pricing. Although with that kind of demand pricing, maybe they're actually run by Uber. Australia, we have a very similar thing, only that amount of money is the government subsidy. (laughs) Actually, it's in that order. I believe one-way trip between the Gold Coast and Brisbane is subsidised about $300 per seat per trip. Well, the the complaint for these folk in the north, like sort of Manchester and and Leeds and these areas, was around the quality of the service that they're getting for those prices. I mean, they're not cheap. They're talking here about, um, you know, Preston to Leeds as being kind of 24 quid. Is probably somewhere in the order of sixty to seventy dollars. Uh, they're talking about just how dirty things are. They're on a dirty train. They're saying they they fold the tray down and there's some stuff all over it, and the, there's mold in the windows and chewing gum on the seat. So, apart from the question of electrification, I suppose they've got a reasonable complaint about the standard of uh, the carriages and the services that they're getting. 
Mm. Yeah, Brian, I think they took your mould experiment that you mentioned with the previous story a, a bit more literally. Yeah, this again could be natural, you know, sort of, sort of natural mould taking over, you know, one of those things where uh, after the apocalypse that uh, nature takes over the world and it may well be taking over these extremely slow trains. <laughs> I love the thought. All right, and quickly, Errol, you have a story. Yeah, well, David, it's amazing what people will leave behind at airports. And recently, Ireland's Dublin airport posted a list of the more interesting items, and it even includes the kitchen sink. Yes, really, someone tried to take a sink on as hand luggage, of all things. Probably the most ironic of lost and found was a headstone with the inscription, you will never be forgotten, which, of course, was forgotten. Other odd items include a surprisingly large number of walking sticks, crutches and wheelchairs, suggesting a number of miraculous recoveries as people boarded their plane. After they've got upgraded to business class because of their disability. That's right. They hurl that stick away in order to get the uh, the exit seat, perhaps. The exit Hallelujah. Place. I've got leg room. I will be able to. Push the door outside for you. I wonder what the conversation at the funeral was like. It's it's like, but I thought you brought the headstone. No, (laughs) I thought you did. Who takes a headstone on a plane? I mean, it may well have been that that, there was some argument about whether it's an appropriate headstone at all. But but imagine travelling with a headstone. That's an amazing idea. I can see the idea around the kitchen sink because the cue to the toilet in those things can be quite bad. So, you know, having your own sink or possibly even toilet system would um, could possibly be a, a good way to go. Perhaps someone took a toilet seat and system there. Of course, Ray Fiennes was going to be on the plane. I, I was thinking maybe, maybe we should just get anyone with any kind of physical ailment to fly through that airport because obviously it works for them. Okay. The person who took the headstone, of course, may have been an extremely pessimistic traveller. Oh, yeah. Yeah, their own name on it and they made it so they didn't need it anymore. <laughs> they made it successfully. Another passenger apparently tried to transport a large boulder, a 15-kilogram boulder from an Irish beach as a souvenir for their garden, and it was taken off them. I think that's a little bit unfair. You know, sure, they could rampage through the uh, aircraft with it, but where are they going to get a boulder again? How will they get it home? A while ago, before they actually weighed things that you carried on or made occasionally weigh things before you carry on a motoring journalist told me of a guy who was a very keen restorer of very old cars who carried the block of a car engine on as hand luggage (laughs) really Mm. he must have staggered on (laughs) (laughs) yeah you thought he was smiling at the hostess it wasn't he was grimacing as as he carried it He was just trying to avoid the weight li- limit in his checked-in luggage. <laughs> you always got to look like it's very featherweight, you know, don't you, as you carry it on. Gentlemen, lovely to talk to you for the whole program. I appreciate that greatly. See you soon. See, See you, David. David. Brian Smith and Errol Smith. And we were talking a range of stories, and at the end there, some quirky news. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, David Campbell, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. 
You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.